The sermon text this morning is Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you will work in our midst today as we... uh, hear the message and consider um, what you did in the life of Abel and Cain and how we see faith um, taught through that. I pray that you will open our eyes. I pray that you will teach us of yourself and show us our sin and let us uh, come repentant before you and come uh, with renewed and strengthened faith. In your name, amen. So as we come to Hebrews 11.4, I want to talk kind of how I'm planning to go through Hebrews 11 because we're going to spend a lot of time in Hebrews 11. In the, the introductory verses of this chapter, there were two points that were made that I think are very crucial to interpret and to use to interpret the rest of this chapter. And and that should affect how we read all of the narratives in the Old Testament. Because it's easy to read a narrative and not be sure what the point is. We hear, but in this chapter, we hear what the primary point is for a whole series of Old Testament narratives. And to some extent, it's the framework that we should use to interpret all Old Testament narratives. And so the first point is that God was giving pictures of faith so that we could understand how faith plays out in the real world, in the visible world. We can see what happens, and from that we can say this is what faith looks like when, you, when it hits the, the, the reality of the things that are happening. That, that God causes faith to have a real effect on your life, a real effect on the decisions you make, a real effect on 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 how you interact with other people. So they were, these things were recorded, they were recorded as a a witness, as a testimony, right? Remember it said in verse 2 of Hebrews 11 that that the elders, they had a testimony because of how their faith worked out. And so we're supposed to read these things as a testimony of what faith looks like. So they were recorded to be a witness of what the effect is to have hope in eternal life, or hope for eternal life. It makes you do things differently because your hope is not in this world. So as we take our time going through these stories, the one lens that, that one of the lens that the writer of Hebrews is saying, that these things were, were written, they were, they were kept, they were maintained, so that we could see this is what the testimony of faith looks like. 
And the other thing that we're to remember is that uh, it's the Word of God that frames the world. That the invisible things are flowing, excuse me, the visible things are flowing from the invisible things. You know, probably the most obvious and probably the most important effect of that is to remember that God recorded these stories. That the invisible, he decided these stories would happen. He decided that they would be recorded. He decided that we would have them. Because he, the invisible God, decided that this is what we should be able to see. He didn't just do this so that we would know history. He did this so that we would know what he wants us to know from history. And by seeing how the first thing that happens after the the fall is that Cain kills Abel and the, the things associated with that, well, that happened in that order for a reason. That happened at that point in that time for a reason. That happened at that point in time so that, that we could understand that the visible flows out of the invisible. Cain didn't kill Abel because they had an argument. Cain killed Abel because God didn't accept his sacrifice. The visible happened because of the invisible. And that's the first thing that God wants us to understand after the fall, is the visible flows from the invisible. And God framed what happened so we could understand what Satan is like. We could understand that we're fighting against powers and principalities of the air, not with flesh and blood. Yes, Cain killed Abel, but he killed Abel because of a spiritual issue. Because Abel was following Satan, even as he bowed down to God. Because remember, Cain bowed down to God. But he wouldn't submit to God, and he didn't have hope in God. So God starts there because he's making it clear that the unbeliever is suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And we should not be surprised that making it harder to suppress the truth would result in murder. That's the history of the church. the history of Christ. So as we go through chapter 11, and we're probably going to spend a few months in this, as we go through chapter 11, we should spend time considering how chapter 11 says we're supposed to consider the story so that when we go back and consider the story itself, we look for the things that God says we're supposed to understand from it. So that's what we're going to do as we go through Hebrews is we're going to look at the verse about what God said you're supposed to know from the story, and then we're going to go to the story and say, okay, so how do we see these things in the story? And that's what we're going to do this morning with the story of Cain and Abel. So let's hear first what, what Hebrews 11 says about Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. So all these things start with the same thing, by faith. All these are reminders that the testimony of the elders, it all starts with the same, te- the same statement, because it's all to remind us that the testimonies of the elders came about because they had faith. Because they had hope in things that were not seen. They had hope in, in the promises of God. They trusted in that the faith was the substance of things not seen and the evidence of things hoped for. 
And so because of that, this is why Abel acted the way that he did. And this is why Cain acted the way that he did. And again, as I said last week, faith is in the dative case, so it's the indirect object. It's not the story itself, but, but God puts it first in the Greek so that we understand that this is the point of the story. Here's the story, but what it's indirectly saying is, this is what faith looks like. So by faith, Abel offered to God. And remember, both of them made sacrifices. But it's the difference between the sacrifices that's important. The difference in the sacrifices is what drives one as having the promise of eternal life and the other of eternal damnation. They both sacrificed to God. It was one that was, it's not that one was offered to God and the other was offered to an idol. Cain was talking to Jehovah. He was talking to a pre-incarnate Christ, or maybe not pre-incarnate, but he was talking to Christ. And so we can't turn around and say he didn't know who Christ was. Yes, he did. He could talk to him. And he's making sacrifices to him. And God is saying, your sacrifices aren't acceptable. So they both offered to the true God. The one was offered to God with faith and the other was offered to God without faith. And because he didn't have faith, it wasn't acceptable. So faith doesn't mean that you believe in the existence of God. It doesn't mean that you believe in the existence of the true God. Faith has, means that you actually have hope. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the foundation that undergird, or it's the evidence of things hoped for. It's the substance of things not seen. Abel or Cain thought that the world controlled the invisible things. Abel understood the invisible things controlled the world. If you believe that the world controls the invisible things, then when you bring the offering of the grain that you say, I brought this out of the world, this is a real sacrifice, I'm really giving up something that I received, then you go, God has to accept it. The invisible has to be controlled by the visible. By the way, that's Arminianism. Cain was an Arminian. I mean, that's important to recognize because that is the heart of Arminianism, that the visible controls the invisible. The heart of true faith is that the invisible controls the visible. The elect of God cause you, because you are the elect of God, that's what causes you to have faith. That's what causes you, causes you to come to salvation. Remember, this is the first picture that God gives after the fall. It's the first picture. The invisible drives the visible. The visible doesn't drive the invisible. So Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. In that sacrifice that Abel offered, it's translated more, ex- more excellent, but it's playon which is typically translated more. It's like plenty. It has to do with quantity, not quality. He gave a bigger sacrifice than Cain. And he can't go, well, it was an animal versus this, or versus the grain, because that doesn't determine whether it's really bigger. What it means is that that Abel was willing to sacrifice whatever. I mean, he was willing to make a bigger sacrifice 
Christ says that unless you're willing to give up your life, unless you lose your life, you will not gain it. Christ demands a huge sacrifice. And Abel was willing to give that sacrifice, and Cain was not. So Abel's sacrifice was greater than Cain. But again, it's really important to remember as we go through this that Cain was sacrificing. He was sacrificing to the true God. God talked to him. He knew who he was sacrificing to. But he didn't have saving faith. He didn't have the promise of eternal life. He didn't have the hope of the world to come. And so his sacrifice was to fulfill an obligation. There's lots of people who go to church that sacrifice exactly the same way Cain does. They go, they do their prayers, they give their offering, they listen to the sermon, they take notes. But they're doing it without hope. They're doing it without having faith that is the substance of things not seen. They're doing it because they say this will work better in the real world, in the visible world rather than it actually being about the invisible manifesting itself in the visible. So then Cain, through which he obtained witness, or excuse me, Abel, through which he came, obtained witness because Abel's sacrifice was acceptable because it was, it was greater. It was a real sacrifice. It was through that, through his sacrifice, that we know, that he knew, and that we know that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. He knew it. He knew God respected his offering, but we're supposed to look at it. We're supposed to say, we understand God respected his offering. Because the elders, through faith, obtained a testimony. This is his testimony. That the sacrifice he chose to make, that was acceptable to God. It was not the cause of his faith. It was the result of his faith. It's not that he obtained salvation through the sacrifice he made. He obtained witness. He, he had testimony that his faith was real and was genuine. In that he obtained witness that, that Marturio is in passive voice. Meaning it wasn't him that obtained the witness. It was, it was God gave him that testimony through his through his sacrifice. He didn't obtain witness through the work, but he and others could see his testimony because of the work that he did. He did not become right with God through any sacrifice, but he obtained witness that he was righteous. He had a testimony because of what he did that he was righteous. Which is, of course, why Cain killed him. He killed him as a proxy for God. He could not see the invisible, so all he could see is the visible. So, so if you're angry and you want to strike out, and all you can see is the visible, who do you strike out at? Abel. Because you can't hit God. And that is the story of the world. And we need to remember that. That's the story of the world. That the people who cannot see, cannot comprehend invisible things, cannot comprehend spiritual things, even as they talk about them, even as they give much lip service about them, they don't understand spiritual things, so they have to attack the physical. Because that's all they have. So he obtained witness that he was righteous. 
And it was because Cain could see his unrighteousness and he could see the righteousness of Abel that he killed Abel. But Abel had a testimony that he was righteous through his works. He obtained the testimony. Not through his works he obtained the righteousness. And so God testifying, it was God who declared the gifts acceptable, which we'll see when we look at the passage in detail. God told both of them that the acceptability of the gifts, he was the one who said, Abel, your gift is acceptable, and Cain, your gift is not. It's God who gets to decide what gifts are acceptable. It's God who has to testify of what things are acceptable in his sight, what things are acceptable for worship. So he testified of, his, of the acceptability of his gifts. The gifts did not make him more acceptable, but the gifts were acceptable because of the faith that he had. The faith in the promise of eternal life the faith that the seed of the woman, right? This is the only promise of the gospel that Abel would have had that we have recorded at least. That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the servant, serpent. And so through the testimony of God, through it, his being dead, he still speaks. Through that testimony of the goodness of the gifts. So when his blood is shed, that's why it still speaks. He's testifying of the enmity of those who refuse to submit to God towards those who do. Because God respected Abel and his offering, that's why Abel was killed. So his being dead, his being dead, in a sense, he can still speak. Even though he's dead, he still speaks. When we read this story, we're supposed to still understand how God has ordered the world so we shouldn't be surprised that, when, that Paul was killing Christians because he was a faithful Jew. That shouldn't surprise us because God is saying, this is, this is the way I frame the world. We shouldn't be surprised when the Jews picked up the stones and stoned Stephen. We shouldn't be surprised when Paul comes back to Jerusalem and the, the Jews want to tear him limb from limb. None of these things should surprise us, and they shouldn't surprise us today. I think we've lost that idea that the blood of Abel still cries out. That same thing still happens. This is how God ordered the world by his word. Abel's death was a picture that still has real meaning to us today. So it still speaks. The blood is still crying out. Saying that this is how God framed the world. This is how, by his word, he directed all things. How he aligned all things. How he put an enmity between those who profess faith without having faith. And those who profess faith and have faith. In both cases, they believed in God. The one was they believed God was about this world. Let's call it the prosperity gospel. Because that is the prosperity gospel. Right? They believed that it's all about this world. That's what Cain believed. He was an Arminian that believed the prosperity gospel. All these things that are in the modern church that are battles that we still fight, they're all right here in this passage. 
He didn't understand that it's about invisible things, so all he cared about the vis- was the visible. That's the prosperity gospel. They missed Genesis 4. And so, his blood's still speaking. Because there's a, an enmity between those who profess faith without, excuse me, profess Christ, profess God without having faith, and those profess Christ and have faith. And understand, God ties us directly to being a picture of Christ. So as we read the story of Cain and Abel, we have to understand, Abel is a picture of Christ. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So just as Christ was the better priest, just as he has access to a better tabernacle, just as he sealed a better covenant, his blood was also better than Abel's blood. It speaks better things. Abel's blood spoke condemnation. And Christ's blood speaks forgiveness. It speaks hope. Abel's blood speaks judgment. So all this, all these were a picture of what was to come. The first narrative after the fall was a picture of spilling the blood of the righteous because of the hatred of the unrighteous. It was a picture of what happened at Passover, the true Passover when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. It was a picture of the better blood that had to be spilled. The blood of Jesus Christ that also still speaks, just like the blood of Abel still speaks. But it speaks greater things than the blood of Abel could ever speak. So with that framing, let's go to Hebrews or to Genesis 4. Verses 1 through 5. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So now Adam knew Eve, his wife. As we consider this, it's, it's useful to remember the curse on the serpent. Because Eve heard this curse. And so I do think part of, this, part of what's happening in this story is you have to see it from Eve's perspective. So what God told the serpent in Genesis 3, 14 and 15... So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so when she conceives, she's probably not thinking of this as a cosmic battle. She's probably thinking, here's my seed, here's my child. This is the child that's going to defeat Satan. 
Because we have no reason to believe that Eve saw the invisible. That she understood it. So she has a child. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't her seed. It was the seed of Adam. But if she's not thinking supernaturally, if instead all she is is focused on the visible and she doesn't understand that the visible flows from the invisible, it's reasonable for her to go, this is my seed. So she bore Cain. Cain means to be a lance or a spear. So if you're Eve and you, you think that your seed is going to destroy Satan, spear's a good, good thing to name him. It makes sense. And so she said, so she speaks after the birth and said, I acquired a man. That word man is, means male. It sometimes means husband. It can mean champion, but it's usually a male or a husband. This is, God raised up a male for her. She could very well be thinking this is a male that's going to do what my husband failed to do. And it says from the Lord. So there's some debate here whether it's just saying the Lord or whether it's saying from the Lord. And the reason there's a debate is it has to do with vowel markings. If there were originally no vowel markings in the Hebrew, as many people claim, then this word has already been used twice before in this verse. And then it's used twice before, but it's not translated. Because it's just used an in interpretation to understand what they were saying in the Hebrew, but there's no English equivalent. But if the vowel markers were in the original, then this is a different word. In this different word, wherever the vowel marking is for this word, it is always translated as a preposition. So the question is, is she saying, this is the Lord, this is the Son of God, or this is God? Or is she saying, this is from the Lord? And so it has to do with this vowel marking, which way you interpret it. And so I think the existence of the vowel markings is pretty clear that they've always been there. In, in this case, it has significant meaning to the text. Is she saying, this is the Messiah that will destroy Satan? Or is she just saying, God has given me seed that will destroy Satan? I think in both cases, she thinks that Genesis 3 is going to be fulfilled in the next generation. But my answer would be, since Christ said that not a jot or a tittle will be lost from the law, well, a tittle's a vowel marking. So it's pretty clear that the vowel markings were there from the beginning. A tittle is the smallest Hebrew letter, and, excuse me, a, a jot is the smallest Hebrew letter, and a tittle is a vowel marking. And Christ said... They won't be lost, so there's no reason to think in the original autographs that they weren't there. And there's plenty of evidence that there was. That's just an attack on that's just an attack on the scripture. The people who say they were no vowel markings. Understand that when people go, Oh, it shouldn't be Jehovah, it should be Yahweh, that's because of an attack on the scripture. Where they say the scripture hasn't been preserved, so people had to go back and add vowel markings. There's no evidence of that. And that's an old attack. That's from 1500, just to let people know. John Gill actually wrote his doctoral dis dissertation on the fact that, that it was all made up, that they've always been there. Anyway, back to, back to the passage at hand. So I think she probably saw her seed and said, her seed, Cain is going to destroy the head of Satan. 
There's no reason to think that she had faith. There's no reason to think that she had hope beyond this is the curse, so we'll get Satan defeated. That there's a physical solution to the problem. The spear will take care of it. So then she bore again what was probably her second child. And this time his brother Abel. And again, it was a male child. But it's not this depicted as a man from the Lord. It's per, depicted as Cain's brother. And I think that's because there's an important picture that's being established. And again, remember, God is framing all these things according to his word so that we can see invisible things in the visible, that we can understand things that God is doing behind. And the idea that the younger was faithful over the older and would be put over the older this is a picture that God repeats many times, such as Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, Ephraim and Manasseh. And all of these are pointing to Adam and Christ. So from the beginning, the first story after the fall that God relates and that God preserves is basically this picture that the second son will destroy the first son. Or will, will have victory, victory through his death. So God's framing these things so that we can see the, he's giving us these shadows that we can now understand through the, the new covenant. And Cain, or Abel, wasn't named anything like, that had to do with victory. His name means empty, means vanity, to mean transitory, which is probably, she probably went vanity and God went, I'll have you name him this, because he's transitory. The world isn't going to be populated through Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. It's a picture of Christ the shepherd, right? Because all this is a picture of, of, of Adam and Christ. It's a picture of the first son and the second son. So now Abel was a keeper of the sheep. As he's dealing with the living. And specifically, that word translated keeper is more generally translated to feed. His job is to be a feeder of sheep. Right? This is the picture of the righteous. The righteous are supposed to be those who feed. The prophets, as it says in Acts 2, that every, everyone who believes in the new covenant, that the Spirit is poured out on all flesh and we all become prophets. We all become feeders of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. He dealt with the ground. He dealt with ashes to ashes, dust to dust. He, dust. He's dealing with the physical. He's dealing with the, not things that are alive, but he's dealing with dead, right? You plant a seed into the ground and it has to die so that life comes from it. And that word translated tiller is typically translated serve. So it's more that he's a slave of the ground or a servant of the ground would be a more literal translation than he's a tiller of the ground. He's the picture of one who's the servant of material things. He's the servant of the earth. He's not the servant of the invisible, he's servant of the visible. So then in the process of time, and this probably means that the sheep are old enough to sacrifice, and when the crop, the crop had ripened, Basically, when they received the things, the increase from the Lord, it came to pass when the harvest time came, Cain knew that he had to bring an offering. 
He was probably still able to see the cherubim that guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden. He would have understood that they were separate from God. He probably understood that God was God had walked in the garden. He probably understood where to go meet God. You go to Eden if you want to meet God. Not that you could go in, but he understood that there was a separation. So Cain brought an offering. It's so important to understand this because churches so often get this wrong. And it's easy to get it wrong for us to get it wrong as well. Cain was an unbeliever. He's the counterexample in Hebrews 11.4 of the one who offered by faith. You have Abel offering by faith and you have Cain offering not by faith, but he is worshiping God. He is bringing an offering. Too often we just see people and they, they pray with such zeal and you go, they must be faithful. No. Cain wasn't faithful and he did all those things. Cain wasn't faithful. But he did outward worship. He knew God. He knew who God was. But he was not saved. Just saying you know God is not enough. The demons know God. And they tremble. He was going through the motions. He was saying visibly this is... He was sacrificing to Jehovah the same way that the pagans sacrificed to, to Thor or whoever else, Zeus. Just because it was Jehovah didn't make the sacrifice acceptable because his heart was the same as someone who sacrificed, sacrificed to, to Eris, whoever, whoever it was, Ares. You can sacrifice to the true God without having faith unto salvation. So Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. It was an offering that later in in the law, you are allowed to bring offerings of the fruit of the ground. You are allowed to bring grain offerings. We studied about grain offerings. Now it's required to make a grain offering whenever an animal was offered. But my guess is they were supposed to understand from God's sacrifice of animals to cover Adam and Eve, that a blood sacrifice was required. And it was the blood sacrifice that makes the grain offering acceptable. There had to be a burnt offering. Because the picture of Christ was to be there. But he made an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. He was sincere. It was a real sacrifice. It was a real giving up of something that he had. And it was really to the Lord. Then Abel. Abel also makes a sacrifice at the same time. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. And think of the difference in the description, right? He brought of the, Cain brought of the crops of the field. Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. He has an understanding of who God is. He understands that God deserves the first fruits. We're commanded to give our first fruits to God. That's every time they went up to a feast, they were to give their first fruits. Cain offers just part of what he got from the ground. Abel offers 
his first. He offers what he receives first. He trusts that God will provide so he can offer to God what he received first. Just like they were supposed to harvest the tenth of their field and then they were supposed to go up for the Passover. They were supposed to go up to Pentecost after harvesting a tenth of the field because they were to trust God would give them the other 90%. That's Abel's testimony. That's not Cain's testimony. Abel gave her the first fruit of the flock. The visible things are framed by the invisible. They're framed by the word of God. God is saying, behind all this, I want these pictures. I want people to understand. And so he's causing these events to come to pass so that we understand what God is expecting of us. The more excellent sacrifice is the sacrifice of the firstborn and of their fat. Abel didn't just offer the firstborn. He offered the fat. The fat is the best portion. The fat has always been a picture of the best. Abel is offering a more excellent sacrifice. He's offering a greater sacrifice. He's sacrificing the special things. Cain just offered part of what he had. Right? The widow and the two mites and the rich men that were throwing in gold. The rich men that threw in gold, they were the same as Cain. They were just giving of their gold. The widow who throws in the two mites, she has a much better sacrifice, a much greater sacrifice because she sacrificed her next meal. That's faith. Faith is offering the greater sacrifice. Not just offering out of what you have, you'll give a portion to God. But he offers the fat. He offers the parts that are the best parts. He offers the first fruits. Cain was trying to appease God with the least that he could give. A sample of what he received. Abel was trying to bless God and bless the name of God by giving the best of what he had. He's the picture of one who is not earthly, not one sensual, not one that's about the visible things. He understands the invisible. And because he understands the invisible and recognizes there's something beyond, recognizes the promises of God, he gives up the earthly things because he is more concerned about the things that he hopes for than the things that he sees. So the Lord respected Abel. We don't know what this means. Could mean, you know, there's, the Jews like to fill in a lot of stuff in this story. Right? The rabbis fill in everything. They fill in the discussion between Cain and Abel. They fill in that the fire comes down from heaven and burns up the sacrifice. We don't know that. What we do know is God made it clear that he res- respected, that he regarded, that he, he saw it as valuable, the sacrifice that Abel gave. That's what we're supposed to know. Abel knew that his offering was acceptable. We know because Cain, God didn't respect Cain's offering and Cain definitely knew it. So based on the language, it's clear that Abel understood. He understood that he had real faith because of the the offering that he made and because of God's testimony of it. And we're supposed to look back at that and go, we know that Abel had real faith. That's what the writers of Hebrews 11 is saying. 
But notice he respected Abel. It wasn't just that he respected the offering. He gave regard to Abel himself. Because Abel had faith in God, he made a specific offering. But the offering, the work and the person, for that, they both are acceptable or both are not acceptable. They're joined together. The work comes from faith. When you have faith, your works are different. So your works become acceptable. And if you don't have faith, your works aren't acceptable because they aren't based on faith. They're based on visible things. So you can't separate the person from the offering. So that word translated respect, we would probably translate it more regard. He regarded the offering made by Abel. He accepted it as a pleasant aroma. But he did not respect Cain. The opposite was true. Cain brought his offering. He brought it to Jehovah. But God wouldn't regard it. He wouldn't look at it. He was dismissive of it. And not just of Cain's offering, he was dismissive of Cain. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot separate the person from the actions. Cain wasn't truly showing respect towards God, so God didn't show any respect towards him or his offering. And then Cain was very angry. Again, this is important to note. Cain was talking to God. He knew who God was, but he didn't have faith. Cain knew that God disregarded his offering. And there was a sense that he wanted to please God. And so when God rejects his offering, God gets ang- or Cain gets angry. Cain knew that God did not regard his offering. So he got angry for the typical reason that people get angry at God. They think he has to accept whatever they choose to offer him. But he doesn't. He chooses for you to offer your best. He chooses for you to offer the the things that you value rather than the things that, that you don't give value to. He tells Abraham he has to offer Isaac. It's only if you lose your life that you'll gain it. Don't expect God to accept what offering you, whatever offering you decide to give him. That's not how it works. That's not how faith works. Faith works that we give him the offering that he desires, the offering we know we're supposed to give and we trust that God will figure it out. God will fix it. God will, if we give our last two mites, we won't go hungry. That's faith. So he was very angry and his countenance fell. It showed in his face. He probably came in great joy. It's harvest time. It's the time of people celebrating. Historically, it's always been the the happiest time when you have a society that's starving a lot of times and is always wondering if they will have enough food. Harvest time is always a a huge time of celebration. So he goes, oh, I'll give God an offering. So he probably comes with joy. He probably comes rejoicing. But God goes, no, I don't respect your offering. Because Cain didn't have faith. And so he's angry with God. And when God speaks to him, when God corrects him, he doesn't repent, he doesn't turn, he doesn't humble himself. Instead, he lifts himself up against God. 
Because anger against God is lifting yourself up against God. It is, it is self-worship. It is rejecting that God is God. Whenever you're angry at God, you are in sin. And you're in the sin that Cain had. And remember where that ends up. It doesn't end up in a good place. Verses 6 through 12. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. So the Lord said to Cain, again, the Lord is speaking. The unbeliever is hearing. The unbeliever knows who God is. He's not, he's not worshiping a false god. He's just falsely, falsely worshiping the true God. Because he won't submit to him as God. He cannot understand the invisible things. All he can see are the visible things. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Cain is blaming God. And then he will blame Abel. But his anger is a testimony that he will not blame himself. He won't humble himself and say, God, what do you want? Instead he says, God, how can you not accept my offering? That's idolatry. Cain has set himself above God. And it's testified to by his anger. Why is your countenance fallen? The word countenance is most typically translated before. It's what goes before you, so it's your face. But the word is actually before. He wasn't playing the hypocrite. His face reflected what was in his heart. So many people later wouldn't let their countenance fall. But Cain hasn't learned that trick yet. So Cain's countenance falls. He doesn't play the hypocrite. Then God says, if you do well, if you do what's pleasing to God, will you not be accepted? This story is very against the normative principle of worship, that we can offer whatever we want as long as God doesn't tell us not to. Because God is saying, no, I get to decide what is an acceptable offering. You don't. God's response to Cain offering grain, which would later be allowed to be offered, his response to the offering of grain was, you're not doing well. You're not doing good. You're not doing what's right. Because Cain was not seeing that the visible things were coming from the invisible, that they were made of things not seen. Cain had to make a blood sacrifice, the requirement for blood to be shed for the remission of sin, but he ignored being cast out of the garden. Even though he's probably went to the gate, if you're going to look for God, that seems like the most likely place. If you're going to make sacrifices, you would think you would make sacrifices at the gate of Eden, where there's a cherubim, where there's spiritual things. So he's even seeing this spiritual creature 
in all likelihood, and yet he still can't understand their spiritual things. All he can do is see the things that he sees. So God is saying, you're acceptable. Your offering is not acceptable. God is saying something else as well. He's saying, if you do what's right, then I would accept you. The rest of us can never be accepted on that standard. Because as it says in Romans 3, no one does good, no, not one. We have to understand that that standard, he sets it in Genesis 4. He sets the standard. If you do well, you will be accepted. So that when Christ comes and does well, he will be accepted. Because other than that, Christ wouldn't be accepted either. Because he lived in a fallen world. And so right from the beginning, God says, here's the requirement. You have to have a better sacrifice, a better sacrifice than Abel's. A better sacrifice than a sheep. To be accepted, you need to be one who does well. But if you do not do well, if you do not do what is pleasing to God, if you do the sacrifice by obligation, if you go to church, if you sing the songs, if you tithe, if you do all these things, not out of faith, but out of saying, this will make my life better on this earth. If you do not do well, not just by not sacrificing, but by not sacrificing the way God wants you to sacrifice. If you don't do what's pleasing to God by faith, sin lies at the door. Again, think about this. This is, this is the picture about how the visible is driven by the invisible. Here's this connection that worshiping falsely, worshiping the true God in a way that's not the way that he wants to be worshipped, this gives the, this opening so that the invisible can attack you. It's crouching at the door, waiting to pounce on you. Its desire is for you. Sin is this invisible thing that wants to have mastery over you. And if all you're thinking about is the visible things, the invisible will have mastery over you. And it will manifest itself in the visible. The visible things are made by things that are not seen. They're framed by the word of God. And God is saying, you don't worship me the way you should. Sin will get mastery over you. It's desires for you, but you shall rule over you. You shall rule over it. Sin became his master. Even though his obligation was to rule over his sin, it was, his obligation was to, to control his desire to sin. But his response to, reject, to God rejecting his offering was not to humble himself, rather was to lift himself up in pride. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. We don't know what they talked about. Again, you can read the, the rabbis and they'll tell you exactly what was said. But it's just like a lot of you know, history books now that make up all this dialogue. It doesn't mean it what was said. We don't know what they talked about. The detail they talked is included in Scripture, so it's important. And most likely, if you think about it, they probably talked about Abel's sacrifice being accepted and Cain's not. There aren't that many people for Cain to talk to about it. 
when people think that they're in the right, they try to recruit others to their side. And because Cain believed in God, but he did not have faith in God. He did not have hope in God. So he didn't see God as God. So he would try to, most likely thing is he tried to recruit Abel to his side. Shouldn't, shouldn't God have rec- accepted my offering? It's not fair. So it came to pass through that conversation when they were in the field. They may have been in the field because Cain was arguing about his offering was acceptable. This was from God. Who knows? But they were in a field. They were apart from people. That Cain rose up against Abel, his brother. Sin lies at the door. The visible things are, are caused by the invisible. God warns Cain. He gives in his word, he says, sin lies at the door. If you don't do what's right, it lies at the door so that we can see how the visible things are framed by the word of God. This is what we're supposed to understand from the story of Cain and Abel. So Cain rose up against Abel, his brother. His anger overwhelms him or whatever. He wouldn't sacrifice the way that God wanted. And so he sins and kills his brother. The invisible sin had dominion over him rather than him controlling his desire to sin. So he commits murder. Remember, God is starting with this very vivid picture after the fall that was framed by the word of God. Either you seek him and seek to please him or you become a murderer. God is like drawing this line so that we can see the impact of faith. And you know, we read this morning from the Second London Baptist Confession, we ran about the civil magistrate. Understand every unbeliever would be like Cain. Except God in his mercy created a society and societies naturally control sin because you have to live with one another. And even in a totalitarian society where you have one guy, he still controls a huge, constrains a huge amount of sin because he's, he's stopping anybody from sinning against him. And so we have to recognize that when God orders a society, when he grows the number of people, it creates an automatic constraint of sin. When he appoints the civil magistrate to be his servant, he's constraining sin. But here we see Cain, and there's no constraint on his sin. There's no people that can stop him. There's no people that go, if we let this guy murder somebody, he'll go and murder me next, maybe. Not saying that they do it out of righteous motives, but they do constrain sin. Just like how many parents constrain the sin of their children because they don't want to hear them scream. They don't want to have to deal with them. But Cain's out in the middle of a field, and so he rises up against his brother and kills him. There's nothing to prevent Cain's total depravity from manifesting itself. So then the Lord said to Cain, no visible thing. Where is Abel, your brother? Obviously, God knew the answer. He was giving Cain a chance to answer, a chance to, to repent, a chance to, to cry out for mercy, a chance to testify that he understood that God was not like a man, that God didn't just see the visible. He saw all the visible and all the invisible. And so Cain says, I do not know. 
I don't know what happened to my brother. He doesn't believe that God can see things that he can't see because all Cain can see is the visible. This is natural man. All he can see is the visible. So Cain thinks he will get away with a lie to God. He thought, as most people do, that through lies you can cover up your sin. And that can work with men. We don't see all things. We don't see the invisible. All we can see is the things that are visible to us, but God sees it all. But Cain didn't believe God was God. He didn't believe that all things were framed by the word of God. So it never works with God to lie to him because he knows. He knows all things. He's present everywhere. In him we live and move and have our being. There's no place that you can go where he does not see. So he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He's making an excuse. How can you hold me responsible for my brother? God doesn't answer his question. But the testimony of scripture is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. It's the evil man, Cain, who's going, I don't have a responsibility to my brother. And it's God who's saying, yes, you do. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If we're concerned about ourselves, we're supposed to be concerned about others. If we try to keep ourselves, we're supposed to keep others. We are our brother's keeper. So Cain's sin, it's just expanding. He's piling sin upon sin. He does the sin of murder, then he does the sin of lying, then he twists his responsibility in the world. He's not doing well. There's this force in how the world was framed that causes sin to grow like leaven. That's how God dictated it when he said, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. It's the word of God that is framing this. It's the word of God that's framing the visible. So he said, what have you done? God's not asking the question to get an answer. He's asking the question so that Cain understands the evil of what he has done. Abel's the first person to physically die. So he said, what have you done? He's not asking, he's not, it's it's rhetorical. It's not actually asking the question. Then he says, the voice of your brother's blood Again, God is causing all of these things to happen. The invisible, or the visible is, is coming from the things not seen. The, the visible is driven by the invisible. These things are all happening. God caused this whole story to come to pass so that we can understand how blood, Christ's blood can work. How Christ's blood can save us. Because God hears the voice of Abel's innocent blood, he can hear the voice of Christ's blood. The, the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than Abel's voice. But in the first story, just like in Genesis 3, where it says that, that the seed of the woman will crush Satan's head and Satan will bite his heel. In Genesis 4 it says that the blood of Abel cries out, which means there's hope. Because the blood of Christ cries out. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me. It's still speaking to him. Even when it's been absorbed in the ground, even when it returns to dust, it still speaks. 
because the invisible things drive the visible. It still speaks from the ground. It returned to the ground, but that doesn't mean that God cannot still hear it and that it does not continue to cry out. So now you are cursed from the earth. Adam was cursed with labor by the sweat of his brow, the thorns and thistles. But now you're going to, the earth itself will become a curse to Cain. So this was this curse against Adam that he's going to have to work hard. But now the earth sets itself against Cain, is what it says. Because God is saying that the earth is acting like a living being. Just like when Christ says these stones would cry out, we go, stones can't cry out. Well, that's because we don't see that the visible is formed by the things that can't be seen. The earth can curse Cain because, yeah, we can't see how the earth does it, but that's because we don't have faith to see it. Because if you have faith and God says the earth will curse it, will curse Cain, then guess what? The earth will curse Cain. You were cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth. It took the blood of Abel, so God would cause it to be set against Cain to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Remember that as it said in Hebrews 11.3, the worlds were framed by the word of God. When we hear this language of the earth acting, we should recognize that it is testifying that there's things that are way beyond our understanding, beyond the visible, how could dirt decide, right? You go out there in a field and you plow the field and you say, how could the field decide that Cain was going to be cursed in his labor? And God says, because the invisible drives the visible. It's the invisible things that are superior. The invisible things are the ones that are more significant. So when you till the ground, and that word till again is when he serves, when he acts as a slave of the ground, He wanted the ground as his master, so now the ground will be his master. It shall no longer yield its strength to you. He wanted the ground as the master. He receives the ground as his master. Now his master becomes like Pharaoh because he didn't want God as his master. He's going to have to work twice as hard. Just like when Pharaoh says you have to make bricks without straw. That's the same thing that's happening here. God's saying to Cain, fine. You want the earth as your master? I'll make the earth a terrible master. I'll make it so it doesn't produce anything for you. The visible comes from the things that are not seen. The world is framed by the word of God. So because God says it will no longer yield its strength to him, it won't yield its strength to him, even as he's the slave of the world, when he's the slave of the ground. So then he'll be a fugitive. Farmers, farmers want to develop land. They spend, I mean, I've talked to a farmer that I know out in Nebraska. I mean, I talked to him a while ago. And he talked about when they buy land, how much money they spend before they get their first crop. Farmers develop farms so that the farm's productive. It's not that you just like walk in, and especially then you have to remove trees, you have to, I mean, it's a huge amount of works. To be a fugitive and a farmer, that's a horrible combination. So it's like whenever he gets to the point where the ground should be able to produce food again, God makes him go, the world, not God, 
the world makes him go someplace else. Because God said, this is what the world will do to you. It shall no longer lead, yield its strength to you. You'll be a fugitive. That's what Cain will be. Wherever he tries to labor, he won't get anything from it. But to him, because he doesn't see invisible things, I mean, it, he clearly recognizes if you go on that God's word is true here. But he doesn't see the visible as coming from the invisible. And this is the sin of unbelievers. They can't see the invisible. They only see the visible. And so Cain panics when he decides, yeah, I'm going to see the visible. This punishment is too great for me to bear. So he's a fugitive and a vagabond. That word vagabond is usually more translated like bemoaned or mourned. Other people are going to see him and shake their head at him and go, that is so sad what happened to Cain. That's what he'll be on the earth. That's what his life on the earth will be like. Because he would not believe in the hope of God. God made him believe in the promise of his wrath. Because that's the rest of the chapter. Well, not the rest of it, but definitely the next passage that comes, the next story, is Cain going, this punishment is greater than I can bear. If you won't believe his hope, the day will come when you will believe his wrath. Let me give you some applications. Walking by faith is the idea of truly believing that the invisible is what drives the visible. That the word of God, what God has declared, what God has decreed, what God has prescribed, that they don't need to connect together. People go, if I rebel against God in this area, God has to punish me in this area. And that's rejecting the idea that the invisible causes the visible. Abel was killed by Cain. So that whenever Cain planted crops, they wouldn't produce. The producing of crops has nothing to do with Abel's death. Except that God says, invisibly they're connected. Visibly they're not. Don't think your judgment for sin, when judgment for sin comes upon you, that it needs to be directly connected. It doesn't. The invisible is what causes the visible. The world is framed by the word of God. Works-based righteousness inherently believes and testifies to the belief that the visible forces the invisible. Arminianism says, if I pray this prayer, God has to accept me. The visible is superior to the invisible. That is a testimony of having no faith. Because faith is that you believe that the visible is framed by the invisible. The widow with her might had great, two mites had great faith. Another related to that, we, we live in the Bible Belt. In the Bible Belt, there's a large number of people who make sacrifices exactly as Cain does or did. They're making sacrifices not out of hope. They go to church not because they have a hope and a desire and that they're looking forward to eternal life. They go to church because they go, this will make my life better. They believe in a prosperity gospel. 
I mean, I tossed an assisted living center, you know, whatever it was, 20 years ago or whatever. And so many of the people, they had been in church their whole life, but they had no hope in eternal life. They'd gone every day or every week. One lady had taught Sunday school for 80 years straight. She hadn't missed a single Sunday. And she didn't have faith. She, she believed in God. But she didn't have hope in eternal life. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. She just thought it would make her life better. And it probably did make her life better. But it didn't give her salvation. Understand, that's what, that's what churches are filled with. People who do it by right. They do it and they think, if I do this ritual, if I do this thing, if I take the Lord's Supper, if I, whatever it is, I walk the aisle, I pray a prayer, I do a rosary, whatever it is, and think that has to make you right with God, that's the opposite of the story of Cain and Abel. Sacrifice by rote, just to fulfill a perceived obligation, without hope, without a desire for eternal life, is basically thinking that your visible sacrifice will control the invisible God. The first narrative after the fall, the writer of Hebrews says, is about Abel having a testimony of his faith by his actions. And Cain had a testimony that he did not have faith through his actions. Our actions are testimony that we have faith. The story of Cain is no different than when James writes, I will show you my faith by my works. If you don't have works, your faith is dead. That's the story of Cain and Abel. Abel had a testimony of having faith. Cain did not. It doesn't mean that we can look and we can see it, but it, it is our hope, our actions, our, how we figure out if we have faith. And the Bible says in Timothy 5, 24 and 25, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. It doesn't mean that you can look at somebody and say, That man, he is faithful. Just like there's lots of people who look at men that find out later that they're not faithful at all. But it does mean the way you can figure out whether you are faithful is by looking at your works. Are you willing to sacrifice to God? Are you willing to give up the things of this world that you love for God? Is that how you're living? Don't judge other people's faith by this. Some of you can. We can look back at men and go, that was a man of faith. But we can judge ourselves by this. And it's not just some feeling. If you ask Cain if he believed in God, his answer would be yes. God talked to him and he was upset that his gift wasn't accepted, but he didn't have faith unto salvation. He didn't have hope in God. Professing belief is not enough. You have to have substantial evidence through that, the evidence of things not seen. You have to believe in the invisible. You have to believe in the hope of eternal life. That has to be what undergirds what you do. That's what's required. That's the picture of Abel. Another application, can others see your righteousness through your works? 
we can see the righteousness of Abel through his works. And if we're truly saved, others should be able to see our righteousness through our works. And if you have a testimony of righteousness, yeah, look, look, at, look at how God has opened doors in Nigeria. I mean, it, it's truly shocking to me. When I thought, you know, Zingak said we should have this meeting of these seminaries, and I said, okay, you know, maybe we'll get three or four, and that could be useful. And he goes, oh, no, we'll get 30. And I'm going, no, there's not a chance we'll get 30. Well, Zingak knows more than I do. But why is that? Because we've given away 500 legs. We have a testimony of faithfulness. And because of the testimony of faithfulness, people will listen to us. Can others see righteousness through your works so that you can testify to them if you're not walking in a way that people can see your faith being put into practice? Why would they follow the God you're following? And you could be doing it in such a way that you are being faithful But it's useful that people can see it. Because that is how we can rebuke. That is how we can exhort. That is how we can testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people see no difference in us, then we're not going to be the sin of death to those who are dying. And we're not going to be the sin of life to those who are living. That that comes from a testimony of doing what's right in the sight of God. Cain killed Abel because he knew Abel had a testimony of faithfulness. Another application, acts of worship cannot save you. There's no worship that you can do that makes you right with God. So when we see somebody worshiping God, coming to church, singing, preaching, they could be sons of Canaan as as easily as sons of Abel. You have these men that have big followings, but they don't make sacrifices. They don't make the sacrifices that God requires. Acts of worshiping the true God are not sufficient. You must believe the promises of God. You must trust that he gives eternal life. Another application, believing in God will not save you. The demons believe and tremble. They tremble with fear. That's what it says in James 2. They won't obey. You can believe, just like Cain believed in God. But if all you do is tremble and don't obey, you don't have faith in God. You don't have faith that that he is framing the visible through the invisible. You don't actually believe that God can curse you and he can curse the ground. Cain even believed that, that God could curse the ground and cause the ground itself to rise up against him and make him a vagabond and a fugitive through the earth. But if you think you can get away with your sin... You don't really have faith. You can believe in God. You can worship God. You can do all these things. But your faith is like a demon's faith. Unless it results in obedience. Another application. When we do not do what is right in the sight of God, it opens us up for more sin. We should see that picture that God spoke because the worlds are framed by the word of God. And God says, if you don't do what's right, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. 
If you've been at church long enough, you see it in others. This is, this is said by Timothy, or to Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the picture. When you don't do what's right, sin's lying at the door, so wicked men get worse and worse. But the righteous turn from their sin, and the righteous grow in holiness. When you do one sin and you say, that's not that bad. You've now expanded it so that there's other sins that you say aren't that bad. And that expands it so you say there's other sins that aren't that bad. And that expands it so you... And that's the way sin works. It's like leaven. And when you find and you accept in your own mind a sin, it means there's now other sins that you will find acceptable. We should make sure that we're willing to see that sin lies at the door. And if we don't do what's good... It's waiting and its desire is for us. It's an active battle about powers and principalities of the air. It's not about visible things. It's an active battle. And if we're not killing sin, it will be killing us. Another application, the world is being framed by the word of God. The ground stops yielding its increase to Cain doesn't yield its strength. It doesn't mean that he doesn't get anything from it, but the ground becomes a taskmaster like Pharaoh. Because God said so. The world chases Cain around and he has to become a fugitive because God said so. We should not think that God cannot punish our sin however he chooses to because everything is framed by the word of God. So that even dirt does his will. Even dirt makes it so that crops don't come up. So when we look at trials, when we look at the things that happen in our lives, we should always be looking for the invisible and not just looking at the visible because God deals with the invisible. That's the primary thing. The visible is just a manifestation of the invisible. Another application, civil magistrates are a blessing. As we read in you know, chapter, what is it, 23 of the SLBC, 24 of the SLBC this morning, about how God appointed civil magistrates. The reason that the world isn't filled with murderers like Cain is because of God's mercy and because he framed and he said to Noah, if a man sheds a man's blood, his blood shall be shed by man. And that constrained sin And God appointed avengers of his wrath. And avengers of his wrath are a blessing. Because even though he put this story here, even though he had this the first thing after the fall, we don't need to keep seeing the story over and over again. So God appointed civil magistrates to constrain it so we don't see the story over and over again. The story in Genesis 4 should be enough. And then the last application, it's important to understand the difference between the blood of Abel and the blood of Christ. The difference between the blood of Abel and the blood of Christ is the same difference as between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's the same difference as between Moses and Christ. Let me read from 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. 
not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness succeeded much more in glory. Abel's ministry of his blood speaking out is saying, God judge. It's that picture in Revelation where you see the spirits on the altar saying, How long, O Lord, how long until vengeance will be poured out on the earth? That's what the blood of Abel says. And that's a good thing. But the blood of Christ says something more. The blood of Christ says your sins can be forgiven you. Abel had a ministry. His blood has a ministry of condemnation. Christ's blood has a ministry of life. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us, that you reveal things to us. That we could not understand the invisible things. We cannot understand how the world was framed by your word, except that you have given it to us. And that you reveal it to us through faith. Lord, we thank you that you still speak. We thank you that you speak in our hearts through your spirit. You speak in your word. Lord, we pray that we're willing to hear. And that we humble ourselves. And we don't act like Cain. Instead, we walk like Abel. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.